are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Well, welcome to another episode of, of Meet and Write. Uh, today, we're very honored and blessed to have uh, a very close friend of mine, uh, a great spiritual father of mine, Father Anthony Messa. Uh, we're very blessed to have him. Uh, as we kind of ask him questions about the liturgy, so uh, we're very honored to have Father Anthony with us today. And it's my honor to be here. So uh, let's let's jump right into it. So the first question for you, Father, is that we, we know that the liturgy is important, and, and we kind of emphasize that in the Orthodox Church, but where did it really come from? Like, we don't see it really li- clearly labeled out in the Bible that thou shall go to liturgy. So where did we get that from? That's a great question, Michael, and really that gets kind of to the essence and the root of everything we do in the church and what it means to be an Orthodox Christian is this whole idea of liturgy and what is liturgy and where did it come from. While the idea of liturgy isn't prescribed specifically, like the word liturgy may not appear in the Bible, the concept is from the beginning. But first we have to kind of understand what does liturgy mean. So liturgy is, is simply a word that means the work of the people. Okay, it means it doesn't it doesn't mean necessarily the Eucharist, okay, which is a specific type of liturgy, but there are many liturgies in the Orthodox Church. Like the baptismal prayers are a liturgy. Um, a wedding ceremony is a liturgy. It simply means a group of prayers that a people are doing together, the work of the people. So in that sense, we have to distinguish the liturgy from the Eucharist, okay, or from communion. And what I mean by that is think of think of communion or the Eucharist. Think of that as like the goal or the destination, and the liturgy is just the vehicle that gets us there. So, for example, if I'm trying to go to New York, I get on a train to go to New York. The train is like the liturgy. It's the vehicle, but the destination would be New York. And in the same way that, that transportation has kind of evolved over time, then we see the same thing with, with the liturgy. The liturgy... The goal has always been to have communion with God, and the idea of communion is biblical. We see back in in the book of Genesis, you know, we read about the tree of life with Adam and Eve and how that was kind of like the goal of their existence was to partake of that tree of life. We read in the book of Revelation about how um, in the end it says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And and these are all pointing us towards communion because that's kind of like the goal of life. And throughout the Old Testament, you know, we, we read about Melchizedek and the tabernacle and the showbread. We read in, in the New Testament about how Christ spoke in John chapter 6. So the idea of communion with God is definitely a biblical concept. Now, the idea of liturgy, again, that is just the vehicle which gets us to that communion. And for sure, that's been adapted over time. You know, the church started off as, you know, a persecuted religion, um, praying in homes and underground in different places. And then eventually, you know, it became like the religion of the empire. So obviously, you know, the, the form of the liturgy may change, but the, the, the key, like the central point of the liturgy, which is communion, that has been since the beginning. So I always kind of say it as, you know, the what um, is the same, the how may change, but the what will always be the same. Okay, so if the what is the same and, and the how is, is what's changing, what, what has really changed or what has really evolved in liturgy and what has really kept the same throughout the years? Okay, so that's a great question. Okay, and again, take a step back. The idea that is important that we understand is the idea of our God as an incarnational God. 
And when I say incarnational, what that means is, is that we believe that God took flesh, okay, and incarnate into this world, and he took flesh into a specific world, a specific historical context, a specific culture and language, and he took on the culture and language of that time. So when God took flesh in, you know, the first century in a Jewish context in Palestine, he looked like them, he spoke like them, he, he took on their culture. You know, if, if God had come in Sweden, you know, he'd speak Swedish. If God had come, um, you know, in Ethiopia, he'd speak Ethiopian. So the same with the idea of, of like the liturgy. The, the liturgy, the Eucharist is an incarnational reality in the sense that it's not a static prayer. It's not something that was prescribed at the beginning of Christianity and is to be done exactly the same way. Okay, that that's going back to my analogy. That's kind of marrying ourselves to the train and not seeing the, the destination of New York. In the beginning, people rode horses to get to New York, and then, you know, they buggies and, and carts, and then trains, and then cars, and then airplanes. The goal is the destination. The goal is the communion. So therefore, what we need is to continually see how the liturgy and the Eucharist is to be incarnate in our present reality. And a simple example of that is language. Okay, there is no one language that that the liturgy is prescribed, it must be prayed in this language. That's even sometimes people say in the liturgy should always be in Coptic and Coptic and Coptic. Well, the truth is, is that our liturgy was given to us in Greek and in Coptic. Okay, and that reason why is Greek was kind of like the, the world language, but it was translated parts into Coptic because that's what people spoke. So it was incarnate in Coptic. And then at a later time when Arabic became the prevalent language in Egypt, that same liturgy became incarnate in Arabic, okay? And then we today in English and in French and France and in German and Germany and so on and so forth. So again, the what we're praying is the same. The what we're driving towards is the same, but the how may change, okay? You also see that with like some of the litanies, all right? Some of the litanies that we pray today were not around and have been added with time, but it's the idea of praying for the world around us is not a new idea. We always prayed for the world, but how that prayer incarnates or, <coughs> excuse me, how that prayer incarnates and how we practice that prayer will absolutely evolve and adapt as the world around us evolves and adapts. There's some countries where they pray, there's a litany, we have a prayer for the king. Here in America, we, we say a prayer for the president. In other places, it'd be a prayer for the prime minister. So the idea, again, the what should never, ever, ever change, but the how will absolutely change with time and culture. It'll evolve. All right, thank you, Father. I, get, I got more of a, a specific question from, from the liturgy, that every liturgy, we pray that we are doing this in remembrance of Christ. And I know Christ used the same words at the Last Supper, that we do this in remembrance of him. So my question is, are we doing it in remembrance of him, or are we really living out that Last Supper? Are we really living out the body and blood of Christ? That's a great question, and to me, that's exactly the point of this podcast, and that's why I said in the beginning I'm so excited that you're doing this podcast, because the more we understand what we're saying and why we're saying it and the meaning of what we're saying, the more we'll be able to experience what the liturgy is truly all about. So it's easy to just say, you know, when we have that part in the liturgy, we say that we recite the words of Christ, do this in remembrance of me. And it's easy to think we know what the word remembrance means. We kind of have an idea of what we think it means. But when we go 
and we look at the word anamnesis, which is the word translated remembrance, it doesn't mean remember in an intellectual way. It doesn't mean remember the same way you remember your third birthday party or the way you remember who won the Redskins game last week. It means a living remembrance. And what that means is we're not just remembering something on an intellectual level, but we are actually jumping in and living that experience again. Okay, and I know that that's a difficult concept. It's a concept which actually there's no word for in English. That's why we use the word remembrance. But I have a great quote here. I love this quote from Metropolitan Callisto Square. So it's a little bit of a long quote, but follow me here. It's a beautiful quote. He says, the Eucharist is not a bare commemoration nor an imaginary representation of Christ's sacrifice, but it is the true sacrifice itself. Yet, on the other hand, it is not a new sacrifice, nor a repetition of the sacrifice on Calvary, since the Lamb was sacrificed one only for all time. So basically what he goes on to say is that the entire life of Christ, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the Last Supper, okay, these all these events are relived in the Eucharist. But I don't want to even say relived because relived makes it sound like it's happening again. What I want to say is all of these events are made present. Or I should say even more accurately, we are made present to their reality as if we are there the first time. So another, the rest of, of, of Metropolitan Callisto's uh, quote, he says this. He says, During the liturgy, through its divine power, we are projected to the point where eternity cuts across time. And at this point, we become true contemporaries with the events which we commemorate. All of the holy suppers of the church are nothing else than one eternal and unique supper, that of Christ in the upper room. The same divine act takes, takes place both at a specific moment in history and is offered always in the sacrament. And that's our faith. That's what we believe is remembrance. Is the same event is happening in time at a specific moment in history, upper room, Last Supper, Jesus just before his crucifixion, but that same moment, that same event is also taking place when we gather together in our churches all over the world. It's not that the event is taking place multiple times because it is one sacrifice offered one time for all generations, but it is that we are made present, okay? And as and as Metropolitan Callistos Ware said, we're projected to the point where eternity intersects with time and we become contemporaries of the events that we are commemorating. Now, if you ask me to explain that or put that in a formula, I'll tell you that's something that we cannot explain. It's not a formula. It's not a math statement, but it is what we believe, okay? And we will always believe that, and that's kind of earlier I was saying the what will never change. The what of that we are there and and receiving the true body and blood of Christ, the same body and blood that St. Peter, that St. James, that all those guys received, that what will never change. All right, thank you for that, Father. So we go to the liturgy week in and week out, and, and obviously it's it, the prayers are repetitive, and they're the same every time. And sometimes it's easy to kind of get bored into it and, and just kind of just go through the motions. So how can I get more out of it, or how can I get myself more engaged in worship so it doesn't become boring to me? And why is liturgy so important to me? That's a great question, Michael, and that really gets to the crux of everything we're talking about right here. The idea of communion with God, okay, when we look at it from the very, very start of humankind, back in the book of Genesis, God's original plan for man was to be in communion with him, all right? And everything is fulfilled when man is in union with God, 
and everything is broken when man is separated from God. Okay, that was the first problem in the world, and that's the, the continued problem. As much as man is outside of God and separated from God, that's the, all the problems of greed and selfishness and lusts and all the problems. And therefore, all the solution is communion and oneness with God. And the way that we live out that communion and receive that communion is through the Eucharist, which comes to us through the vehicle of the liturgy. So therefore, there's nothing more important than communion with God, and the means by which we receive it is the liturgy. That's why it's incumbent on us to not just attend liturgy and go through the motions and just kind of stand there like robots every week, but to invest into it and to understand what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. That's why I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast, and I wish you all the best of luck with this, and I really hope that we can invest more in the liturgy so that we can receive what we're meant to get out of it. Well, thank you very much, Father. I, I really appreciate your time for this episode, and and maybe we'll do an episode later on of, of how can I get more out of the liturgy and what are um, applications or, or specific uh, spiritual exercises I can do in order to gain more from, from the divine liturgy. Definitely. I would love to come back and talk about something like that if you have me back, because there really is no greater investment of your time than in that. Well, thank you very much again, Father. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CoptichHymnsInEnglish.com.